snap, play action, back to pass, Williams looks end zone, throws end zone, great scoops, wow, Who is that Oklahoma football team we saw on Saturday? And what has Lincoln Riley done with the Sooners we saw back in Week 8? Hey there, this is West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. Oklahoma puts together its best performance of the season one week after playing the worst football I've ever seen an Oklahoma team play in a win. Saturday was truly surprising in a good way, so let's talk all about it. Joining me to discuss a man who told me last night that Drake Stoops is a legitimately good football player, and the Sooners should probably throw him the football 15 to 20 times per game moving forward. Now, I thought that was a little high, Grant, but, I mean, here you are. Grant Benson, what do you say about that? Uh, you're back on it, huh? Back on it. Yeah. And you're actually wrong. I, I the, What I texted you was, Drake Stoops is an exceptional football player, is is what I said, I'm pretty sure. Or excellent. I think I said excellent. Um, And he is. He's, he's, very, he's very good. He is one of the best players on the team. Uh, but I did that, that, that little other part that you added, that did not happen. You didn't, you didn't say that he should be targeted 20 times a game. I could have swore you said 20, maybe you said 25, 25 times per game. I didn't say anything about targets. I, I did, I did say, I did say though, that on like third and fourth down and stuff like that, they should start to experiment with, with Drake Stoops and like matchup hunting move him around a lot and see if they're in man, whatever, and try to get him in some, like, really good... Because, I, I I mean, I, I, like, I, I could see that being just a big-time third-down, fourth-down security blanket. And uh, he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's very good, clearly. So... Yeah, I do like that idea because, one, he is very good. He's a crisp route runner. He's always at the right spot at the right time. And whenever opposing teams are going to be watching tape and putting their game plans together to defend Oklahoma in the pass. Drake Stoops is way down the list of guys that they're going to key on. Most likely they're going to key on Marvin Mims. They're going to key on Jaden Hazelwood. Heck Mario Williams is probably above Drake Stoops sometimes when they're watching back tape. So yeah, he's a guy where you could potentially get a linebacker on him, depending on the situation or maybe a, a defensive back. That's not one of their best defensive backs. And Stoops is a guy that can exploit that and he's done it a lot throughout his career so yeah that's something maybe to watch out for throughout the the rest of the season to see if Lincoln Riley plays around with Drake Stoops a little bit more I know that on that touchdown catch we played in the intro Caleb Williams was definitely looking to him I believe that was his first read I was right down there on the field and it seemed like you know I was zoomed in on Caleb Williams through my camera lens and his eyes went right to where he was going to throw it to Drake Stoops and he, and he put the ball in a good spot great catch by Stoops so I mean that play was designed nifty, to get, uh... yeah it was a nifty route. I like that play. I don't know if I've seen that before um, from OU. So that was actually, uh, but I, I'm more like with the matchup hunting. I'm I'm more thinking like down the line because like that's something that if they get into a playoff situation, that is going to be very necessary. That is how you are going to beat the big boys sure. is by finding matchups, one on one matchups that you feel like you can exploit. And if you can get Drake Stoops on a linebacker, I'm going to feel really good about that. Same. Especially in the mid, especially in the mid range, um, and so hey, I, I'm glad we just kind of went right into it because Lee, one of my, this is a hot take for you to start off the uh, the podcast here. One of my takeaways from the game yesterday was that OU's core of receivers is excellent. They have, I, I they, I, I think it's pretty clear they have, from what I've seen, they have the deepest receiving core in the country. Um, they are just they're very good at that position. Mike Woods didn't even play on Saturday. So I mean, when you have when you have Marvin Mims going for over 102 tutties, you have Mario Williams kind of with his first big breakout game where he looked he looked great, he looked crisp, he looked healthy. Uh, we know about Drake Stoops, uh, Braden Willis getting more run as well, and then you enter you know Mike Woods coming back, Theo Weiss might come back sometime soon as well. We we saw Brian Darby make a great catch in the end zone. Um, we've seen Jaleel Farouk play a lot more the last couple weeks and has, has looked fine. Trevon West has looked like a guy out there who can make plays as well. Um, I watched the, you know, I, I watched that Ohio State Penn State game last night, and kind of the conventional wisdom is that Ohio State has the best core of receivers in the country. Um, and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are great; they're really good. I OU's got 
down the line on their depth charts got better guys than Ohio State does, um, which isn't surprising if you just look at the recruiting that they've done at that position and who they've gotten. And so that's just something that's exciting, like going into the stretch run is where, like, well, I mean, what, the receivers, right? We were just like, ah, oh, what's going on with the receivers in the first half of the season? And as soon as Caleb Williams is inserted, they have started to establish themselves big time. There's, there's dudes, they have four or five guys that can take it to the house at any time. And that's, that's really valuable. Well, yeah, and it's because of Caleb Williams. And sure, I mean, they, they might be super deep, but the reason why they look super deep and they're, being, they're able to perform the way they are is because of Caleb Williams and the way the offense is running. If Caleb Williams is on Ohio State, maybe, I mean, I know that Stroud's been okay, but Caleb Williams is a better player than Stroud at this point, C.J. Stroud. Maybe Ohio State's entire receiving core depth-wise would look a lot better than it does now. It probably would. And so that, like, I, I yeah, I mean, Oklahoma could have that, but I don't watch enough college football to where I've seen every single team. So I'm not going to go on the line and say they got the, you know, the deepest, best receiving core. I just think it's a testament to Caleb Williams' play. Uh, we know that going into the season, or we knew going into the season, that Oklahoma had, had a lot of talent there. And yes, it's certainly up towards the top of college football, no doubt about it. But it wasn't happening for the first you know, six games of the season, six, seven games. And now all of a sudden it is. Why is that? Because you have Caleb Williams, who is unlocking everything. And that was a game yesterday, speaking of the receivers, where Caleb Williams was throwing a lot. He threw 30 passes. He was 23 of 30, 402 yards, threw six touchdowns when Oklahoma didn't run the ball well, didn't really try to run the ball well because I, I think I guess what Texas Tech was trying to do to them up front. And I'll be up front. I have not gone back and rewatched the game offensively, and, and I haven't really watched much defensively. I watched a little bit because I wanted to see Key Lawrence at least early on in the game, but I'll have a lot more thoughts later on once I get back through a full rewatch. But just off the top of my head and, and what I remember from the game through my camera lens, that Caleb Williams was asked to throw the football a lot, and outside of the first drive, it was fine. And Oklahoma scored on every single drive after the first drive up until the end of the game when they just ran out the clock. And you can throw Spencer Rattler in there. He, he obviously threw a touchdown pass later in the game as well. But you know, after that first drive, Caleb Williams was fantastic. And speaking of uh, you know, matchup hunting and down the line and a possible playoff situation, I know you've said this before on this podcast in the past that if Oklahoma does get to that situation again and does play in a playoff, how do you win those playoff games historically? you got to be able to throw the football everywhere because running the ball is not going to be a thing. You're not going to be able to run the there, ball very yes. well. If they want to win a playoff game, the game plan is going to have to be basically what it was against Texas Tech. You're going to have to throw it 66% of the time. I, I like that's, and you know, it, it may be tough to do that, but if they want to beat a team like Georgia, they're going to have to go four and five wide pretty much the entire game and spread them out, match up hunt, and win one on one battles in the passing game. I loved yesterday's game plan. I like, I'm, I, I love chucking the pigskin. Um, and the fact that they were able, they were still able to do it while Texas Tech clearly was focusing on shutting down the run game. They did a really good job of doing that. But OU was still was still able to chuck it down the field with a lot of success. And that's and you know, hey, Texas Tech has <laughs> has had issues at times this season. Uh, you know, with that mostly against Texas in that in that one game where they just got shredded through the air. Uh, but like we said in the preview podcast, there have been times this year where Texas Tech's defense has been legitimately good. Um, and they, I, OU averages basically averaged 10 yards per play against them on, on, on Saturday. And they did it pretty much all exclusively through the air when a lot of the times, like it got to a certain point where Texas tech knew OU was going to throw it. That was clearly their game plan. And they were still able to do it, which is, uh, that's really encouraging. And I think like one of the big things about the game yesterday is that, geez, man, we, I, we can just totally forget about the Kansas game. Now, at least we can just, we can totally move on from that. Um, I think we all sort of hoped that that was, that, that, that was probably a fluke and that it probably was, um, you know, I, I'm just, I, I'm glad we don't really have to think or about, or, or talk about that game ever again, because it was terrible. See, that's sure. You're right. But the problem with that is I, I, I will never forget that Kansas game and in, in the, the term, you know, the sense of this season, especially if Oklahoma ends up playing poorly and the defense starts to regress again and they play bad because I, again, like that is just a a piece of the entire blueprint of the season of what the heck is going on with this team, and so that's why you just don't throw that game out and forget about it because it did happen, and that that game should never happen. So even though Texas Tech was great, best game they played all season, 
it's not just going to wipe the slate clean unless Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, they make it to a Big 12 championship game. A play like unless from here on out, what we see is basically what we saw against Texas Tech and hopefully even better. Then at that point, at the end of the season, if what we see moving forward is really good, then yeah, okay, that Kansas game didn't matter. But if I still see, you know, shreds of them maybe coming out sluggish or not caring or thinking they're way better than they really are then no, I'm not going to forget, forget about that Kansas game because everybody else can just show up and beat the crap out of Kansas. Oklahoma didn't. That's a bad thing. I know people want to just move on from it, and it's a, it's a joke now. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's yeah, we're going to move on from it. There's literally no reason to talk about it. There's, like, there's no reason to dwell on it at all. I, it's, it bothers me. It bothers me because it should never happen, and it did. And I'm, I'm happy they came out, and I said in the beginning of the podcast, that was a pleasant surprise. I did not see that coming. The defense played a lot better, looked a lot like it, a lot more like it did the first four games of the season, and I give Oklahoma credit for that, and the offense was really good. Great game, great job, and I guess the main thing is, or one of the main things is, why did they play so well yesterday on Saturday? Was it a, a big part of it? Yeah, they got Jalen Redmond back healthy. Didn't play a whole lot, at least from what I watched. Didn't play a whole bunch. Uh, I... I no, D, Graham and Graham and Lawrence being at corner was were, were the, were, was the was the by far the biggest development. DTY being back helped a lot too. Um, I'm sh- but it was yeah, Key Lawrence and DJ Graham being back at corner was was the biggest difference maker, especially at, like on sure. the defense at and least. You're right, and, and that was my next thing is yes, we saw DJ Graham back, good. Key Lawrence played corner, and yes, Delarian Turner Yell was back. That's all great, but uh, also how much of the preparation, because Lincoln Riley after the game said, you know, I just, I had a hunch. I kind of felt good about the way we prepared this week. You know, you, can, you never predict the future, but he just, I, I, had a, I had a good feeling about this one. And he was right. And they played well. How much of that was how embarrassing they played against Kansas? And how, uh, probably a lot. And that's good. They responded and they played that way. Now do it again, do it again, do it again. Because this team seems to have a very short memory, which in football sometimes is a good thing. You make a bad play, forget about it, move on. But when it comes to preparation and the way you played in the past and how you prepare for games and if you're, you forget about how things were, if they didn't like how people were ripping on them for the last week and they came out and played that way, all right, then don't play like that again. And that's my whole thing is that that's why that game is still kind of important because you got to remember how much crap they got and use that moving forward because it seemingly has not worked very well this season. It worked really well last year after they started the season one and two and Prep prepared the same way every single game. A couple of hiccups in here and there. Kansas, Spencer Rattler didn't play very well. Baylor was a weird one. Guys out for the COVID. Baylor almost kind of got him, but but not really because Oklahoma's defense was really good in that game and Baylor couldn't move the football. So the whole thing is that, yes, I you're right. The Kansas game is over. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. But it just I've seen this too much with this with this particular football program. That they just, eh, you know what? Whatever. Like now, now we're good again. Okay, go show me two weeks from now. Show me against Baylor, and then show me against Iowa State, because then if you're not that good against them, it's like, you know what? You're kind of front-running, and I don't like front-running type teams. That's my rant. That's my rant of the day. Lee's rant of the day. There is there's, there's a lot of irony in that, that they've won 17 straight games. Um, I mean, that's got to be the longest winning streak in the program for, I mean, I, I got to think since they won the national championship in 2000 like from that season then into 2001 i gotta think it, it has to be i can look that up in the game notes it's actually it's compared i want to say i looked this up and historically it's actually not even that like they've had much longer winning streaks but i can look that up uh so anyways that was my rant it was surprising great Let, let's t- talk defense uh I'll, I'll let you go so you mentioned key lawrence you mentioned dj graham being back there from your perspective why was it such a big difference? What did they do? Because I have some thoughts on Key Lawrence as well, at least for the, the first quarter and so, because I did want to go back and watch him play because I listened to the radio broadcast as I watched the game and shot the game because I, I, I got my headphones in it, and those guys were praising Key Lawrence quite a bit. So it sounded like he played pretty well, but I can't always watch it fully until I see the copy back. So it sounded like he played well. You said he played pretty well. Why did Key Lawrence play so well? Like, What did he do that was different than what we've seen so far? 
So, and and this isn't to say he was perfect by any means at all, because I mean he he did get beat a few times, but that's kind of where his the, him being a difference maker actually popped up. And so you can actually just go back to the very first snap of the game for Texas Tech, where they just run they run just key is up in press coverage. He gets beat off the line. Columbia throws a a perfect pass, and actually when that pass like when when he completed that, I was just like, oh, it's going to be one of those games, isn't it? Where it's just drops it into the bucket, but key gets beat. But then he actually is able to, he's actually able to close on the ball. He's able to recover. He finds the ball. And as soon as the ball is caught, he's able to come in and punch it out. And it's, it, that was, that is, that's what his intention was. That was not a fluke. And so it was a really nice play on the ball. And so what I would say with Key, the thing that he brought one was just ball skills, an ability to recover if he got beat, and also physicality on the edge as well. He did a lot better. Uh, setting the edge, getting off of blocks than someone like Jaden Davis would or even Latrell McCutcheon has been. Um, and then with DJ Graham on the other side, um, you know, he, he he did give up some of those easy yards every now and then, but when he's in there, the space is shrunk. It's 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 catch and then and then he's down and then they're hit right away right away. With Jaden Davis and Billy Bowman back there, a lot of the time it's been bail, catch in front of you, and then get kind of dragged for four or five yards. And I know there was one instance where that happened with DJ Graham. Um, but you know, that, that wasn't an issue past that one play. Um, so there was, it was just, it was just a little tighter. It it was more tight. The, the yards were not, some of the easy yards were still there. They still got some stuff over the middle that, you know, I feel like, OU desperately needs to clean up that they can clean up. Um, but no, they just shrunk the space. They were much more, just a much more physical presence out there with Graham and and Key who are both pretty like, look at Graham. Graham's pretty physical. He's pretty big dude. Um, and we all know Key is his, uh, Key is as well. So, no, I th- I thought those two guys were were clearly the the biggest difference makers on the defense. And I don't even think Graham actually played like exceptionally well or anything. Um, it just he he just he provided such an upgrade over what what had previously been there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it it is like it's it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it was with the defense. Other than those two guys, you know, DTY being back helped as well. He, he there was a couple of tackles he made that were nice uh, that you weren't seeing from you know from guys previous. And uh, I I thought situationally they were just a lot tighter and a lot better in that game where they understood the situations a lot better. Like they were excellent on third down in that game, which has not been the case at all. And they were excellent in third and medium and third and short, which was nice to see as well. So. Um, I don't know. I, it's it's one game, and you just hope now that they can that they can kind of build on the next game, because you know obviously Baylor is gonna is gonna present some totally different challenges, um, and you know we'll we'll talk about that in a week or two. But um, okay, yeah, I'll, I don't know. It's 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 all uh, it's definitely better than them playing like crap. Of course, like it's it's something to build on. At least. Yeah, no, that's that's a good breakdown from what I've seen. Again, I've I've watched the first quarter and a little bit of the second quarter mainly the, de- the defensive series. And through that time, I, th- I think it's about three or four Texas Tech series on offense. Key Lawrence, I- I'm already seeing him make a, b- a big impact. And you mentioned the first play of the game. I'll just add on to what you said, because what you said, I saw all that exact same stuff. And this was a perfect example of, I think it was either last week or you know one of the podcasts recently when I, I-, I talked about, hey, you know, this Alex Grinch speed D scheme I think it just might need really good players to to play out the way that he wants it to play out. And when the players aren't that great, you're going to see what you saw against Kansas. Because in this particular spot, you got Key Lawrence coming out there, hadn't played corner all season long. He's being asked to play press man coverage at the line of scrimmage. And there's basically no safety help. There's virtually no safety help because Pat Fields is that split safety on that hash to the boundary. And with the receiver running a, a deep go, Pat Fields is irrelevant on that play. He can't get over top to help out that. So Key Lawrence is by himself, one-on-one with no safety help on an island. And it takes good players to make that work if you're going to be put in that position all the time throughout games. I mean, that's, that's a scary thing to think of. You're a corner playing press man coverage with nobody behind you. A guy beats you, it's a touchdown. I mean, that's a, that, and Oklahoma asked their corners to do that a lot. And so on that play, right off the bat, Texas Tech, Sonny Cumbie, Henry Columbia, they identified that matchup, and they made the right call. They made the right play. They said, hey, this guy has not played corner all year. We don't recognize him out there. Let's pick on him. He's got tight cut. We'll just ask our guy to beat him deep. And you said it. Columbia threw a perfect ball, and 
and, and I guess you, you already said this stuff, so I'll just kind of add on to it, is, is that, yes, he was beat at the line. That's not great. But the fact that he was able to have enough awareness, situational awareness to know that he could still make a play on the football once the ball came down into the hands of the wide receiver and he was watching the receiver's eyes and waiting for the ball to get there. And once the ball hit the guy's hands, that's when Key punched it out. That just shows smart situational football that even though he was not in the best spot, he didn't give up on the play and he put himself in, a, in a, as good of a position as he could have to make a play at the end and he did. Heck, in a different reality, the guy still catches the ball because he has strong hands and key. Okay, but he didn't. Key made the play. And there's another example of that later, early on in the second quarter, where he was beat off the line and he was able to kind of recover and get a little bit of a piece of it because he was watching the receiver's eyes and making a play on the ball. I think it was maybe either, I think it was earlier in the first quarter when, because he got nicked up, he came out and is like, oh no, is he hurt? Thankfully, he came back into the game the next series. Actually, when he was out is when Texas Tech scored their first touchdown over Jaden Davis and over Delarian Turner-Yell. The next series for Tech, Key comes back out there, and they go after him again because they, they knew that he was banged up. They're like, hey, let's go after this guy on an island yet again. And it's got Ezekanma out there, and he played it perfectly. Key, he didn't get beat off the line this time. He recognized the go route. He, ch he switched his hips. He ran with it and essentially ran the route for Ezekanma. And if it was a, a throw towards the inside of the field instead of the outside of the field, he picks it off. It's interception. I mean, it, he ran the route for Ezekama. He turned his head to find the football. It was, it was perfect coverage. And this is a, a big reason why I, you know, you'll you'll hear me and you know, Teddy Lehman disagrees because I heard him on the broadcast last night saying that hey. I can't tell you how difficult it is to move from safety to corner. And Teddy Lehman knows way more about football than me. So he's probably correct about that, okay? I disagree, though. And I'd, I'd love to hear him explain why, because he didn't go into detail why. Because from my perspective, going from safety to corner is not as difficult as he's making it out to be, because you don't have as many responsibilities. You don't have to make as many calls. You have one side of the field. You have one man, and you just make plays. When you play safety, you have to cover a lot of ground. You have a lot of responsibilities. You have to no checks you have to see motion guys and make the right calls and if you make the wrong call then the entire defense is going to be out of whack that's a lot of responsibility at corner you don't have that maybe it's different I guess in this Oklahoma defense uh, but it, it, so I it's nice that key came in there and immediately looks like a, looks like a difference maker and I think that kind of shows me or tells me that yeah, it, it's it's doable to move from safety to corner but in defense of Teddy Lehman, again, he doesn't need me to defend him because he knows more about football than me. We just saw Billy Bowman go from nickel to corner for a couple of games and look lost. So I guess there's evidence there that I know nickel and safety are different, but a lot of the same principles, and Billy Bowman couldn't figure it out. So I don't know. I mean, I know Key played corner. He was recruited as a corner to Tennessee. He has that in his background, and through one game, if that's the kind of play we're going to get from him, if he plays that way, that makes me excited because especially – uh, with DJ Graham on the other side, that kind of shores up that. If if those two positions are are so important to this roster to where those two guys just playing competent to good football makes the whole rest of the defense play that much better like we saw on Saturday, wow. I mean, how important is cornerback in this defense? Seems pretty darn important. I think it's a, it's extremely important in the defense, especially two corners who can play man coverage because they, they, they love to play man. And if you got if if you don't have to worry about dudes on the outside, I mean that that you know I, I you can do so much more with your defense, especially over the middle of the field where they struggle. Um, so if you can, you know, and of course there there's things that offenses can do to counter that. You can you know you can run drags and you can run crossers and stuff, which uh, you know there there were still some some issues there at, at times during that game as well. Um, but that's and you know that's that's where you're happy though, where the offense is doing their part and they're they're putting a bunch of points on the board quickly, and and creating a sense of urgency in the opposing offense as well. Um, so I you know I just I, I thought it was a good game. I mean it was it was and I know this has been this is kind of a cliche after yesterday, but it's it's kind of exactly what everyone expected OU to look like coming into this season. Um, like I I think everyone sort of knows that like with that type of defense, the speed D, you know, if you will. Is they're, you're going to give up some yards every now and then, just with how aggressive that they are and just sort of the scheme that they play. But it's all. But if you're good situationally and you can you can turn them over and you can still get enough TFLs to put them behind schedule, 
and then and then your offense is st- is bombing away and scoring quickly. It just it's that's just too much for the other offense to keep up with, and that's like that game yesterday is exactly kind of how I envision the Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch marriage to go, like ideally go that, like that. That's what it was. Let's see other defensive notes. I will say, I mean, just to, to throw a little bit of cold water on it. Yes, the defense looked a lot more like it did the first four games of the season. The first two touchdowns Texas Tech gave up and really the only two touchdowns that mattered because they got a garbage time touchdown against kind of some starters, but a lot of backups. And OK, that happens. But the two touchdowns Oklahoma allowed shouldn't have happened. You got to make those plays. I mean, Delarian Turner Yell took a bad angle over the top and he didn't get there in time. And Jaden Davis was able to kind of find the football, but he couldn't separate enough from as a comma to make a play on the ball. And even though the guy made a nice catch and had strong, strong hands, the ball hung up in the air for so long as a safety, you got to come over and you got to make a play on that. And Jaden Davis has got to make a play on that. So that's one where the play's got to be made. And the other touchdown happened on a fourth down where you and I were talking about this before the podcast. We were trying to figure out what happened because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't find a, a, a good angle of it, or they didn't show a good angle of it on the replays. It was looked like it was a, a man coverage across the board, and either DJ Graham or Pat Fields did something that messed something up, and a scramble drill just throw up to the end zone. It ended up being a touchdown to a really tall receiver. That shouldn't have happened. Oklahoma should have had guys there for that. So even the two times that Texas Tech scored, they were preventable. There's a, a reality in which Oklahoma gives up only maybe – maybe a garbage time touchdown that that game and that's it so you know this is more of like we're close whenever Lincoln Riley says we're close I would kind of believe it after a game like that when they played for the most part pretty darn good and a couple of scores they gave up were preventable they actually were preventable you can see it on tape and so that's okay on one hand it's great that they played a lot better on the other hand you got to get better you can't give up those plays that are preventable and so going against better teams going forward, obviously that's going to bother me if they give up these, these plays where they need to make more competitive plays on the football when throughout the entire season they have not had a lot of opportunities to make competitive plays on the football, except if you're Key Lawrence apparently and you come in and play corner for the first time, it seemed like he was making a lot of competitive plays on the ball as well. Any other defensive notes that uh, Isaiah Thomas, how about that? He played pretty well. Yeah, he had a great game. He had a great game. Um, you know, hey, I, I, the defensive line I thought did a pretty good job in the run game, but I mean, still, it's it, it is it's a little concerning. I mean, they they just they did they never got the quarterback on the ground, and so I was looking. So I maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe this just isn't a thing in college football that I, I just don't know. But Isaiah Thomas should should get a sack for that strip that he had, and I didn't I didn't see looking in the box score that he was credited with a sack. Is that just a like an NFL thing? I thought he got credited for the sack. I I heard he did. I mean, they said on the broadcast, but, but he's not. He didn't get a sack in the game. And I, I haven't looked. Yeah. So I just looked. Um. And I'm I'm just looking at the ESPN box score. And the ESPN box score, he's not credited with a sack. Uh, saying that OU had zero sacks in the game. So he it still says a fu- like a, f- a fumble, a forced fumble, and a fumble a fumble recovery for him. But he was not credited with any sort of TFL or sack. Which, from what I understand, he should be a, a strip. Of, of the quarterback as a sack all the time I thought yeah I I think that's wrong I, I mean Teddy Lehman on the broadcast after that play happened he said that's like one of the most efficient plays you'll ever see in football you 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 get a sack you force a fumble and you recover the fumble and so now I'm going to look at the box score for Oklahoma look over Oklahoma sacks yeah they credit him with a sack so that's Okay, so just the ESPN box score is wrong then. So that means they had, you know, they had eight TFLs, that means. Because um, I think they had seven with them not crediting the sack. Um, unless are you... Yeah, are, they had eight. Does, eight's pretty good. Eight. Eight, and eight's more along the lines of what they it's, were having at the start of the season. Yeah, it's it's, it's better than... If, if, if you have eight TFLs a game, you're... That's that's good, you know. Um, and But the thing I keep kind of going, man, if they could just finish tackling on some of those they would have had a lot more um but hey maybe i yeah if they get hot maybe those will start to come i guess i don't know all right we're gonna apologize this is gonna be more of a a shorter episode i want to get to the three word reviews because there's some other stuff we need to talk about but maybe the three word reviews will give us some prompts that we haven't hit on yet so i'll go to those and i apologize i did not put the prompt on the west of everest facebook page so this is all from twitter at Lee Benson News 9. I apologize to those who like the West of Everest Facebook page. 
I did not get it up there for that uh, before this podcast. Uh, my sincere apologies yet again. So we'll start with Jed Castles at News 9. He says, complimentary football, finally. Jacob says, secondary figured out? And Jacob also adds, it took nine games, but it appears Grinch finally got the right players in the right places in the secondary. Let's hope this proves true against better teams. I, I agree with that to an extent. Um, and I, 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 talked, I talked to you about this beforehand. Um, I've, never, I've never been a huge... Um, I, I've never been a guy this season who's really who's been like too upset about Justin Broyles playing a lot. Um, I, I said in the in the preseason that if you just listen to the coaches, it was pretty clear that he was going to play a, a fairly decent role this season. Um, having that been said, I have a huge problem uh, with how that turned out with Billy Bowman and everything. I, you know, I um, Broyles has been fine this year. He hasn't made like really any glaring mistakes, but he he's not good in pass coverage. And, and that's that's been consistent the entire season. And Billy Bowman at his height playing that position at nickel is better than Justin Broyles. Um, and I have a problem with Bowman being moved to corner, being put in a position that was not he was not being put in a position to succeed all that much. And then all of a sudden he loses his job at nickelback, even though when he has a higher ceiling and has flashed a higher ceiling this season than Justin Broyles. I have a big problem with that. And maybe that's one of the things where I'm just not privy to. I don't see practice. I don't see what's going on. But he was, but he was warming up with the corners in, in, in you know, in the pregame. And he, I from, I, I don't think he played a snap in no, the game. No, he did. Yeah. So they, uh, late in the game when they took all the starters out, that's whenever. Okay. That's whenever Bowman and McCutcheon came in opposite each other at corner. Hmm. And so yeah, like I, it, it's, I think at this point in time, it's pretty clear that Broyles is going to be the guy the rest of the season. Um, like I, I don't, but I, I got a problem with that. It's, I, I don't think it's their best option. I think he is, I think he's way too much of a liability in coverage. He just gives up way too much space. Um, even, even the pick that he had, it should have been a catch for a first down. If the guy just wouldn't have dropped it. Um, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's one thing that they could definitely shore up where they could definitely get better. Um, but I mean, they, they he's clearly doing something that the coaching staff really values. Um, but I, I, I kind of hope as November goes on and we really get into the nitty gritty that they're gonna that they're gonna kind of give way to the more talented players, the guys with the higher ceiling. Yeah, that's I, that's just me though. Especially especially when they ask the nickel to play so much man coverage, and they're asking Justin Boyles to play a lot of man coverage, and I, Bowman has just been better at that this season at nickel, in my opinion. Honestly, I I can't even remember like the the amount of times. Uh, the nickel has been targeted in the passing game this season is very low. It, it doesn't doesn't happen a lot. The, the the cornerbacks are the ones that are targeted and over the middle of the field where the linebackers are. So I, I don't I really don't think the difference in Bowman and Broyles in the pass coverage is that big of a difference. I just think uh, athletically and talent wise, I think Bowman is probably better than Justin Broyles, and I don't think he's gotten. I I haven't seen a like I I want to see more of Bowman at nickel. He hasn't. It, it's weird to me that he was with the corners again. I understand thinking, oh, like we have a lot of confidence in this guy. We're going to move him to corner because we don't have a lot of confidence in Jaden Davis. We don't have a lot of confidence in Josh Wheaton. We don't have a lot of confidence in Latrell McCutcheon right now. And that's basically what they were saying when they moved him over there the way they did. But the fact that now, and also with Delarian Turner-Yell injured, but now that Delarian Turner-Yell is back healthy again, keeping Bowman at corner to me is is weird because now you don't have anybody behind Justin Broyles. I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously Bowman can still play nickel because everybody in, in Oklahoma secondary plays every position. They move him around, but when you see him warming up and playing corner, that's kind of his spot right now. I, but overall, I'm with you. I I do think it is kind of weak that it does seem like they move Bowman at a necessity to like, hey man, we we like you so much, we're gonna see if you can play this position to, because we're thin here, and he doesn't play very well. Doesn't play well at corner, but now we're going to keep you at corner whenever we're more healthy. Even though I think he's put on some some okay tape at nickel. So yeah, I, overall I'm with you. I don't I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe you are, but I I am annoyed. Like if I'm if I'm Billy Bowman, I'm a little frustrated because now I'm not getting on the field as much. Even though I got on the field, I was the starting nickel to start the season. Yeah, and like and and, and you know maybe and Jeremiah Cradell is still not healthy. He was in street clothes on Saturday, so I have no idea what his timetable is. Um, so, yeah, in, in that sense, yes, I am I am frustrated for Billy Bowman that all of a sudden 
it seems like, yeah, his job is taken and he's changed positions, but he's a backup now. Whereas we can only identify that Alex Grinch thinks that Justin Broyles is one of his best five defensive backs right now. Because he always talks about playing your best five and Justin Broyles is the, one of the best five now. And yeah, he certainly has improved. Good on him. But uh, he's a guy, I mean, he's, he's slight of frame. He's 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 easy to block he doesn't really get off blocks very well he's he's light he's not very fast uh, he's he's yeah he's he's kind of just a guy that you, you hope he doesn't make any mistakes and for the most part he's just he makes he, he's fine but i think back to that kansas game that last touchdown kansas gave up i have no idea what he was doing on that play <laughs> he was just running into a random space everybody was confused i hate to pick on him for one play because everybody was bad that game with the exception of i guess key lawrence and really Jaden davis was fine because nobody went to him Jaden Davis was just hanging out by himself the entire time. But, uh, yeah, you can't say that he's been great. Um, he missed – I mean, he blitzed. I, I saw him blitz and, and miss Columbia and not get Columbia to the ground. He, just, he caps your ceiling. He caps your ceiling is what I – at that position at least. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see as, 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 as November goes on. Um, hey, they got a bye week coming up. I mean, clearly they're not – Maybe during the bye week they yeah. make – they make switches. Clearly, they're not afraid to make changes. So yeah, so maybe it maybe it does change eventually. I just it's it's just it's odd to me. I I don't you know and like I said I'm not privy to practice and what's going on. It's uh, but yeah like if you if if Billy Bowman is fully healthy, I just I don't let's let's get him out there. You you put him there for a reason. Um and I and I don't think he did anything to to warrant losing that job at all. I agree. I agree. More three word reviews. We'll go to Robert on Twitter. Deep ball rattler. Robert says one of the only deep attempts he's tried for all season. Ah, oh, just I don't know about that. I mean, yes, he has. I'd say it's one of the only deep attempts he's tried recently because I think early on in the year he was taking deep shots and there were bad decisions and they were like against Tulane they were intercepted and he just he was he was gun shy <laughs> he was making mistakes. So uh, I think you said, Grant, uh, I mean, this is probably before the Kansas game because we all assume Rattler would play that. Oh, yeah. When he gets into the game, he'll be bombing away. Right. And sure enough, Rattler didn't play against Kansas, which was whatever. It's Kansas. You guys know how I feel about that. He gets into the game against Texas Tech seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And he comes out and he kind of he didn't he seem to you kind of had a little more pep in his step. He looked like he was into it, which is good. Good. He took it seriously. He wanted to come out and he wanted to play well. And he did. He looked great. And credit to Brian Darby on that touchdown catch. Great catch by Brian Darby. But uh, but you called it. He said, oh, when Rattler gets out there for the next time, you'd better believe he's going to bomb away. And he did because that's what his big criticism was, is that he's dinking and dunking. He's a game manager. He bombs away gets a touchdown pass, and I got to tell you, Grant, that whole sequence, I was up top, very highest level filming. It was really cool, and I I hate being generic guy that's like, oh, what a cool moment, because like everybody says that. In this situation, though, I couldn't think of anything else to say because it, it's true. Like I actually found myself, as I was filming it, I kind of started smiling and like feeling all warm and fuzzy and good inside for some reason, which it clearly meant that it affected me. And I felt really good for Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma football because, man, his teammates were all over him. They were all, it was almost like he was like a, a third string, four string walk on guy that threw a touchdown pass to everyone. But obviously, it's not that. He's a super talented player and he's gone through a lot of weird stuff this season. And everybody loved that. And he was into it. He was super excited. So you know what? That kind of showed me that I think Spencer Rattler is engaged. I think he, at least for one game, and you know who knows, but based on the evidence we saw on Saturday, he's engaged, he's in it, and he's he looks like a guy that if they need him, they'll go to him with no problem at all. And it just that made me feel good. And I felt good for the kid, so happy to see that. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the loudest it was in the stadium the entire game, and uh, which is impressive because I probably thirty percent of the crowd had already filtered out, maybe even more than that. Um, so that was good to see. And so I'll actually kind of push back with you. Like that was yes, he had he has attempted deep passes this season that haven't gone well at all. We haven't we he hasn't attempted any deep passes like that this year where he actually like let it go where like he stepped into it and like actually ripped it. That's the first time he's done that all season. All his other deep passes were try were, were were touch passes, were off his back foot, 
or that was the first time where he actually saw a guy, he was decisive, and he just let it rip. That's the first time that's happened all year. You know what? You may be right. That's you may be right about that. And like, and that's what I said. I was like, when I when I kept watching over the video board, and I was like, that was 2020 Spencer Rattler. And we even saw it. Like, I one of the most underrated parts of of his of his first five and a half games this season um, was that he had noticeably lost zip on his balls. He was not throwing at the same velocity this season. And it just looked weird. It looks like he was aiming it. It looks like he was throwing a dart a lot of the times. Um, that one, that looked like Spencer Rattler. Like he was like, it, he showed off his arm strength. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's good to see. And, and you hope the reason for all of that is because he's engaged. And you hope it's because he's, it's, it's sunk in that that's his, that's his best option moving forward is to look engaged, hopefully get in when he can, look impressive when he can, and then at the beginning of January, he can get the hell out of here and go somewhere else and start over and and build off of a good base with 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 all of the adversity and the things that he's learned in the background and stuff that he can that he can use moving forward. And so hopefully that was the message that's gotten through to him because that's that's clearly his best his best way forward. Yeah, so great job, Robert. Good three word review. Deep ball rattler. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think you're correct that he let that one rip and that looked like old Spencer Rattler and just seeing all the guys like the the hand like the, the high five or the low five he got from you know Lincoln Riley was clearly jacked up for it. Even hey, even a little bit of a brief little embrace with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams came over and said, hey, man, nice job. It was quick. It was quick. It wasn't like two guys, you know, like, you know, the, the, the Bash brothers from D2 Mighty Ducks, you know, getting super excited. How about that for a reference? Uh, hopefully people understand what I'm saying there. Uh, but, I mean, at least it was a, hey, like, hey, good, hey, good job, man. Like, they, because very rarely, I don't know if I've ever seen them during this span when Caleb Williams has been the starter talk or do anything on the sidelines. So Yeah, I think there's there's definitely some circumstantial evidence that their relationship is a little icy, for sure. But, hey, he was there, and it wasn't just and everybody. Everybody was in on it, and it was great. It was cool. I I enjoyed that. More three-word reviews. Lamont says, committee got to recognize. Lamont, starting to feel it. You're starting to feel it. So the playoff rankings come out for the first time this week. How about that? So Oklahoma's on a bye, but we get the playoff rankings. I am going to take, I'm going to try to take a totally different tact to this this time around because I, I feel like this is how everyone should react to the playoff rankings right now. I'm going to try my absolute best not to give a crap whatsoever about what the committee says. Because the like, because what's going to happen is if like I, I think we all assume that Georgia Georgia's schedule the next four games is pretty light, so they're they're going to be twelve and zero going to the SEC championship game. I think ev- everyone realizes if OU just takes care of business and wins four consecutive games, that's including the Big Twelve title game, they're going to be the number two seed in the playoff. That's that's what needs to happen. That's all that people should focus on. Anything else? Everything else is just noise, and I'm. Some, I'm kind of talking to myself here because, of course, I kind of have a history of, of getting a little worked up with some of the with some of the logic uh, in in these in these playoff rankings. Bottom line: OU wins four straight games in November and early December. They're going to be the number two seed in the playoff, and they're going to be playing in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Bottom line. Yeah, I agree with that, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I always. What do I always say? That the only playoff rankings that matter are the last ones. So I, I, it just really doesn't. Yeah, it, it's fun to debate. It, it, it's only here to debate and for us to talk about. That's all they're designed for. Uh, every once in a while, if, if you're in a sit- certain situation where maybe you, ha- you do have a loss, they might provide you a blueprint of what you have to do or how you have to play. But to your point, in this particular situation, as long as Oklahoma is undefeated, they have everything in front of them, and they, they hold their own destiny in their hands. So that's why there's no reason to give a care at all about what these rankings say. And in fact, it'd be even be- it'd be for the best if Oklahoma was low, because then this team can feel like they need, need like a chip on their shoulder, because we don't want this team to be a front runner and think they're super good again, and then come out and think they're going to just show up and beat Baylor, show up and beat Iowa State. And you know what? Yeah, I want to I want to get out ahead of it because I think there's a really good chance that they're probably number four or five when the when the rankings come out. I think Michigan State is almost certainly going to be number two. Um, I think I think Alabama will probably be number three, and it wouldn't surprise me if they put Ohio State or Cincinnati above OU at this point in time. Um, so and that's fine. Whatever yeah, doesn't matter. It doesn't it'll, matter. It'll work itself out. It does not matter. It'll work itself out. 
that's the thing. It's like I, I can't get super into the idea of polls and like where Oklahoma is ranked and whenever Oklahoma is undefeated because it's Oklahoma. You just win games. You're going to get to where you want to go. That's the like. Can't say the same thing about a Cincinnati or a Boise State or a Group of Five team. But essentially, any Power Five school, as long as you're winning every game and you haven't lost yet, you're probably going to get to where you want to go. So it doesn't matter what the rankings are. Heck, if Mississippi State, which I was way wrong about that pick, by the way, Mississippi State goes in and just beats the crap out of Kentucky. Uh, that's probably not a good example because Mississippi State's a decent team and they've had recent success with Dak Prescott and stuff. How about uh, Purdue? If Purdue at this point was undefeated this year, they would be ranked almost near the top five because they would not have lost a game. It's Purdue. It's not Oklahoma, but they're in a power five conference. And if they were undefeated, Purdue would not have to care about what their ranking are, what their ranking is because they would be undefeated in the big 10. And it's, if it, if that would be the case for Purdue, it's obviously the case for Oklahoma. So there's no reason to ever get worked up about any sort of rankings as long as Oklahoma is undefeated. And I, I just don't, I can't explain it any, any more clearly than that. Okay, more three-word reviews. Let's go over to George. George says, Lawrence flashes again. Some props for Key Lawrence. Man, for like two seconds there, George, when you said Lawrence... I thought I thought you were referencing the KU game in Lawrence, and I was like, "Wait a second! You thought you you thought Oklahoma played like they played against Kansas, but no, that's not what George is saying. Thank God." Mark says, "Finally enjoyable football." <laughs> I kind of like that. I, that was the first time all season. It was just gonna be like yeah, they're playing okay. Like take take your take that take was step that back. game was yeah. that game was very pleasantly not stressful. Like even in the stadium, it was very like once they got up twenty eight to seven, it was just like yeah, they're kind of kicking the crap out of them. Like this isn't. I was like, I don't even like Texas Tech. I don't is not going to make this interesting. Like this is the first time all season I've been like, yeah, they're they're really they're really kind of strangling them right now. A couple of three word reviews that are kind of in the same ballpark. Brian says trending up now. Dan says all coming together. Uh, Jason had the complimentary football three-word review as well. Brian giving some love to Pat Fields as Fields' best game. And he, he mentions that, you know, some people pick on Pat Fields, some people pick on Justin Broyles, and both those guys got interceptions in the game. <laughs> Fields, uh, Fields showed up again playing well in, in the run game. He, he did a good job with his run fits, I thought. Um, and so, yeah, and, and honestly, Pat Fields has been pretty good with that all season long uh, so yeah I, the pat fields hate this season is not is is not super warranted to be honest with you i, I um, agree it was it was much more so last season yeah and i haven't uh you know if longtime listeners of this podcast know that i did a deep dive on 2018 2019 2020 breaking down all the defensive backs based on my own grading system I haven't had the time to do that this year. Maybe in the offseason, if I get bored, I'll go back and rewatch all the games and grade all the defensive backs this year. But I would be very surprised if if Pat Fields was one of the the worst D-backs for Oklahoma this year. Last season, it was Pat Fields and Buki, my two lowest-graded defensive backs based on my own system. I, I would highly doubt through nine games if I went back and, and did the whole same grading system that Pat Fields would be at the bottom this year. I, that would be surprising. Uh, Michael also talking about Key Lawrence, Lawrence's best game. Jay Don Reed says return from injury. And heck, I mean, yeah, the injured guys coming back, maybe that does matter a heck of a lot. It, it certainly showed out on the on the edges on the outside with the corners. And hopefully Jalen Redman can continue to play a little bit more, a little bit more on the inside. How about Dan? This is a good one. Really good three-word review. Corner is key. K-E-Y. Yeah, well, that's how you spell key. I like that. That's a good one. That's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. That is a great three-word review. Great job, Dan. Benjamin, starters really matter. Benjamin adds, glad to have some injured guys back. Feels like everyone was where they needed to be, and everyone played aggressively. Having DTY was huge as well. You could see him getting players lined up correctly. I don't see anything wrong with that. I agree. Caleb says, Rattler went yard. Bobby's three-word review is similar to mine. Bobby says, want more, please. Uh, mine was more of this, by the way. Almost through three-word reviews. 
Josh Adams, longtime listener. He always likes to reference. I'm going to get this guy wrong. The NBA announcer. Is it Mike Breen? He says, Key Lawrence, bang, bang. Big NBA fans will get that. I probably got the guy's name wrong. I think it's Mike Breen. He does the NBA finals for ESPN and ABC. Uh, let's see what else we got here. More from J. Don Reed says, Key freaking Lawrence. Key Lawrence getting a lot of uh, a lot of love. And a couple more from Brian. To yeah, I like I, I, Key Lawrence is definitely making himself some fans right now, just because. And he's, I mean, he's he's fired up to be out there too. Like he's he he's demonstrably fired mm-hmm. up when the ball comes his way and he makes a play and that's just i i think a lot of people like seeing that uh brian another one says keep key at corner four words but he put the at in parentheses so uh, you're, you're i get what you're doing and then finally how about this out of left field major looks good marcus major getting his first touches of the year i think i erroneously said that he got a touch a couple of game, games ago against tcu I was wrong about that. It was a play that that went to Kennedy Brooks. I, the reason I thought it was major is because when I was listening to the game live on the radio, they had mentioned that, oh, Marcus Major's in the game for the first time. And I just, for some reason, I thought the ball went to him. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Just that's a, a, a crazy correction from a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, yeah, Marcus Major comes in garbage time. Sure, yeah, he looked good. Fine. It's good to have him back. At least they have three scholarship running backs on the roster now instead of two. But obviously, the main guys is Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. Speaking of Eric Gray, Eric Gray was, with the exception of maybe one or two catches, was basically non-existent yesterday. I think he had one carry or two carries. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. Okay, we've made it through nine weeks. And so far, so good with the running backs. Uh, our biggest fear was that there'd be something that happened to the running backs. So far, so good. They're, they're good to go. I still think... I. I still think they may be saving a little bit of something for Eric Gray. He's he's a legit weapon out of the backfield in the passing game. Um and I like and I'm talking like throwing it downfield too. Like running like goes from, you know, from the running back position over the middle. Like the the one first down catch he had in the game, it was he 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 kind of stayed in like he was going to block and then he released and he was wide open. Um and just st- stuff like that. I love stuff like that. That's stuff's really really hard to defend. So, um, but yeah, well, like we're kind of, we're still kind of waiting for him to break out a little bit. And I think it's, it's coming eventually. I, I, I really do think he's going to break out. All right. Those are all the three word reviews from Twitter at Lee Benson news nine. Again, apologies for not getting the prompt on Facebook. I know a lot of you follow the West of Evers Facebook page and like it. And you use that as your three word reviews. Unfortunately, I missed you guys this week. We'll get you next time. Just a bit of housekeeping. You've talked about the 17 straight wins for Oklahoma. I did look up the notes on that. Here is from the game notes after the win over Texas Tech. The win was the Sooners 17th straight, which is the seventh longest in program history. And you were right about this, Grant. Is their longest since winning 20 in a row over the 2000 and 2001 seasons. The 17 game streak is also the longest active one in the country. So there you go. I was going to say, I think, I think their most recent longest one would have been 2016 into the Iowa State game. Would I think that was a, that was like a that was like a 13 or 14 game winning streak? I think. All right, and just like we were saying last week, it was the first time OU was eight and since 2004. Now this is the first time they've been nine and since 2004. Hey, that's that. That's one thing I, I definitely wanted to bring up, and that's a. Nine and zero going into November. They they made it out of September and October without losing, and that's you know that that's something like as OU fans, it kind of feels like that's that's pretty normal, but it's not, man. That's that hasn't happened since Jason White and Adrian Peterson were in the same backfield, and that's that's kind of cool if you think about it. I mean, in August, our preseason preview podcast, we went over the schedule, and we, I told you that I don't really see a trap game, and the it's because the schedule just it laid out so well and it was a a soft schedule and the way Oklahoma played for nine games well for eight games because game nine was their best game I I don't know man it's it's frustrating we've we've complained we've criticized (laughs) that schedule laid out the way it is we always say hey this is a good schedule for Oklahoma that's that's probably why Oklahoma is nine and oh and boy I they played so well against Texas Tech. Obviously, best case scenario is that 
the schedule, like once Oklahoma figures it out and maybe they figured it out and the schedule now gets difficult, then they will have figured it out and had all of those bad games behind them that they'll play better now and then they'll win these games. Whereas if they would have had this kind of stretch earlier in the year, then they probably would have lost one or two of them. Who knows? It's just kind of interesting to think about how the schedule, he talked about how the schedule looks so easy. It's a good thing it was because that's how Oklahoma is 9-0 right now, Grant. And boy, like, so, yeah, a lot of positive stuff after the way they played against Texas Tech. Uh, honestly, yeah. I mean, they're, I, they're the first two months of their schedule, this, that's the easiest OU schedule I've, I've seen since I've been a fan, I think. I mean, it's been very soft. Which I mean makes it right concerning that they've played so many close games. Exactly, but I'm you know I'm I'm glad they're going to the bye week at, after the end of just like I mean let's be a, a hellacious nine game stretch like that's it's not totally unprecedented to play nine games in the first nine weeks of the season, but I mean it doesn't happen very often. Doesn't happen. The um, 2010 Auburn was the last team to go nine and zero in the first nine weeks of the season. Man, so that's that's in the game notes too, and I'm gonna get it wrong, but I want to say I read maybe it was the pregame game notes. It's something like this is the first time Oklahoma has played nine games in a row before uh, without a bye since like the mid '90s. Like it hasn't happened. It, it, 1995, they played ten in oh, a row okay. to start so you, the so season. So you knew it, okay? So it's never happened in the Bob Stoops era and Lincoln Riley era, obviously. So since we've been paying attention to OU football for the most part, this has never happened. And heck, you know what? Thank you to the Big 12, or I, because if they're going to play nine games in a row, that's how you want to do it with that kind of schedule. Because it wasn't very, wasn't very hard. Well, it was hard. It looked hard. They made it look harder than it probably should have looked. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, it sets up perfectly. Going in, they get they get two weeks now to prepare for a team that I think is going to be is going to throw. I, I think the most complex schematic defense at them probably the rest of the season until they get to a playoff situation. Um, and I'm also, I'm, I'm grateful that they struggled with Baylor last season. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that that's on tape because maybe that'll get their attention a little bit more. Um, and I think, you know, this is, this is not, I mean, that's, it's, it's two straight games really that Dave Aranda has kind of gotten the, the better of Lincoln Riley in, in terms of the schematics. Um, and I, I think maybe that's going to put a bit of a chip on on Lincoln Riley's shoulder. And so uh, that never in a million years did I that I honestly think that when I was looking at the at the schedule in the preseason when it came out that that trip to Waco up up to that point in the season would very clearly be the best team they've played so far this season. <laughs> that's that's I, crazy. I that yeah, and 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 it's it's clear. I mean, they're by Baylor's by far the best team that OU is going to be played. You know, playing this season. So. Um, I, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, I, I don't really have a lot of thoughts on the game yet other than, um, if OU can come out and they can, they can chuck it around with a lot of precision and throw it downfield, there's not going to be a whole lot Baylor can do. Um, and I hope that's the case. Well, here we are with what feels like a snap of the fingers. We're down to a three game season championship. November is on deck. But first, as Grant was just talking about, the Sooners get a chance to unwind, get more healthy, and then they got to go play Baylor. And that's going to be a problem, potentially. But they do have to focus on Baylor. And then from our perspective, we will focus on that final push towards another Big 12 title. And what we're all hoping for is another playoff appearance and then eh, that elusive first playoff victory. See, again, we can talk about all that stuff, but those players and coaches better not be thinking about any of that stuff. Only think of the Baylor Bears because that is the Sooners' next opponent on Saturday, November 13th in Waco. Grant, any other final thoughts before we get going? How about Texas being on a three-game losing streak, now at 4-4, four and four, going into Ames next week? Oh, boy, and... That, it, an Iowa State team that lost to West Virginia and is probably in a gotta-have-it scenario for them. So I will give you a lot of credit, Grant, because you continue to your, – your Iowa State prediction continues to be spot on. I mean, you have nailed Iowa State. You're the only person I heard in the preseason that was skeptical of Iowa State, and, and you, you've nailed it. Uh, your Texas thoughts, for the most part, have been pretty good. And also, when it comes to picking games on the podcast, you're hot again. You were five and zero. Oh. I think I was five and zero. Oh. 
I think it was five and you were four and one last yeah. week. So I, you're you're seeing things pretty well right now. And um, the only thing that you missed on is I don't think you, you, you thought Baylor would be this good, but nobody did. <laughs> uh, actually, also, you missed horribly on TCU. Good call on that one. I missed. I, I, I did miss poorly on I, that. I got to keep I you did. grounded. Uh, I got a text from one of my friends. And is there rumors? Uh, have you heard any rumors that maybe this is the last year for, for Gary Patterson in Fort Worth? Maybe he's on, on the way out. I mean, it would kind of go to what you're saying. I, rumor, I mean, I don't know rumors, but yeah, people have been saying. I mean, there's definitely people who have brought up that like it may be time to move on from him. Because what were you saying I a would, couple weeks ago? Like, If the defense isn't good in TCU, then what's the point of Gary Patterson being there? What's, what's the point of having Gary Patterson there? Yeah. That's kind of, which is weird. I mean, that'd be, that'd be a heck of a fall from great. I mean, but you know, some guys just sometimes it's just not their time anymore, I guess. But, um, weird, weird situation for TCU to be in, right? I don't think they've ever been good without Gary Patterson. Hmm. All right. So, okay. For us, there's a chance that we're going to take this bye week off along with the Sooners from the podcast. We will let you know what our plan is as soon as possible. And we will post that on the West of Everest Facebook page. So, all right, until next time, until the next podcast, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.